It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, my friends. How are you today on this mid-to-late October Sunday here at the Jersey Shore? My name is Louis Scatigna, certified financial planner and your money doctor each and every Sunday. Live 7 to 9 here on 92.7 WOBM and anytime at the podcast at the financial physician.com. As always, it's a blessing to be with you on Sunday morning. We've been doing this for 22 plus years and this is where I'm at home on Sundays and hopefully you're part of our tradition and joining us each and every Sunday morning for our program. The phone number here is 732-237-9626. If you have a financial question or you have a comment on the program, always welcome your phone calls. How are you doing this morning, Paul? I'm doing good, Lou. Having a good weekend? So far. So far, so good. Um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, I don't have weekends really anymore. This is my weekend. I spent... Uh, God, five hours yesterday preparing for the program. Uh, I was up four o'clock this morning preparing for the program. But yesterday I got to spend some time with my grandkids at the um, pumpkin picking and doing that October kind of thing. That was a lot of fun. So I did have a little bit of a break. Hopefully all of you are enjoying your weekend if you're listening live here to the Financial Physician. So this past week, very interesting week, very important week, very historic week. It's been, it was the 35th anniversary on October 19th of Black Monday, also known as the Great Crash of 1987. And I remember it vividly. Uh, I can't believe 35 years have gone by since then, but I remember it vividly because, A, I was in the business already four years. Uh, and I witnessed the the major bull market that led up to the 1987 Black Monday crash. Uh, also at that time, me and my partner, who's going to join us later in the program to talk about this, uh, were setting up AFM investments. So here we are, two 27-year-old guys trying to go off on their own in the brokerage business, and we have the worst crash in history. And I'm going to explain it was the worst one-day crash in history. Even 1929 did even equal it, not even by far. And we haven't seen anything like it since. So I remember it vividly, uh, and uh, uh, we're going to talk about what led up to the crash, what happened during the crash, and can it happen again, and what changes were made in markets in response to it. So Black Monday, as it's referenced today, is what took place on October 19th, which was a Monday in 1987, and in October. Now, so... And it seems like October always seems to be the month for crashes. Remember the, the great crash in 1929 was in October. The crash in 87 was in October. Uh, October in 2008 was a, a crash as well. Uh, so I don't know what it is with October 
Maybe it's because of Halloween. It's spooky. The markets get really spooked in October. Um, But let's talk about the crash, what happened, what led up to it. Uh, From August in 1982, when the the country was coming out of the recession, now to give you a little bit of history update, in 1980 is when we had that peak recession, uh, peak inflation, like we're experiencing right now. It was 1980. Paul Volcker raised interest rates to 18%, killed inflation, killed the economy. We went through a really nasty recession uh, in the first two years of Ronald Reagan's administration. And then the economy came out and started to grow. Employment started to pick up. And we had a very, very great uh, economic uh, recovery uh, from that uh, very deep recession caused by the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve... I talk about it all the time. The power they have over all of us is just so great. And we'll talk about what's going on with them now a little later in the program. But uh, they caused this great recession. Paul Volcker, and you got to give the guy credit. I mean, he did a very unpopular thing, politically especially. And he uh, raised interest rates to 18%. Can you imagine if this Federal Reserve raised interest rates to 18%? What havoc that would cause in the economy? And it would cause much more havoc than Paul Volcker did because we have 100 times more debt (laughs) than we did then. Uh, So when you raise interest rates on a population, a government, uh, cities and municipalities that are so indebted, it causes what we're seeing now, which is total dislocation in uh, world markets and world economies. So that's not going to happen. We're at 3%, 3, 3 and a quarter. Uh, We're not going to get much further than this, trust me, and we'll talk about it now. Is the Fed going to pivot? You know, some things came out on Friday that may indicate that the Fed is is starting to get scared. But back then, Paul Volcker raised interest rates. We had a nasty recession. We came out of it. Inflation was killed. And uh, we had a great economic period between uh, 1982 to 1987. As a matter of fact, the Dow Jones Industrial Average during that period, and I remember it well because I was a fledgling broker at that time, went from 776 to 2,722 uh, uh, in August of 1987. Um, that's a huge move, obviously, in just five years. As a matter of fact, in in, in 1987. In August, year-to-date, the Dow was up 69% through the summer of 1987. I remember it because I was working for a brokerage firm in Princeton as I was planning on opening up AFM Investments. We were doing all the planning. And in that summer, I just every day was a new record on the stock market. It was so baffling because at that time, the economy wasn't doing that great. Our trade deficit was growing. Our debt was starting to grow, and every day was a record. I mean, think about it. Up 69% in one year. It wasn't even one year. It was in eight months. And I was getting very nervous because this is not normal. And when things are not normal, they go up too fast. Uh, The decline or correction is very hard, very dramatic. And I knew it was coming. I didn't know when. I knew it was coming. I was four years in the business. What did I know? I didn't know nothing, but I, I knew people were talking. I was listening to financial radio every day when I was driving back and forth uh, to Princeton. 
And uh, and they were all talking about how this was unsustainable. And sure enough, it wasn't sustainable. So on, um, leading up to Black Monday, we started seeing declines in the market in September and into October before the crash happened. And this is typical of, of crashes. Crashes don't happen out of the blue. The market goes down significantly prior to a crash. The crash is usually the crescendo of other little quakes that were happening prior to it, that lead up to it, the cracks in the market, if you will, before the big crack happens. And uh, the week before, uh, we started seeing our trade deficit go up. The dollar started to fall, uh, and um, and uh, there was some talk in Congress about uh, reducing the tax benefits associated with mergers and acquisitions. And that was all the rage in 87. Companies were being taken over through leveraged buyouts and junk bonds. And if you remember Michael Milken and all that stuff that was going on. So Congress was trying to rein that in and make it more difficult for takeovers. That was negative on the market. But the week before this Black Monday, on October 14th, it was a Wednesday before Black Monday, the United States House Committee on Ways and Means introduced the tax bill that would reduce the tax benefits associated with financing mergers and acquisitions. And at the time, you know, you didn't really think that was a real big deal, but it was it was pretty big because that was driving the markets at the time. Um, and also unexpected high trade deficit numbers started to come out, and uh, that came out on October 14th had a negative impact on the value of the U.S. dollar. And what we started seeing was interest rates starting to go up in the bond market. Kind of like what we're seeing now. Well, think about some of the comparisons to what's going on today. So on that day, Wednesday, October 14th, the Dow dropped by 95 and a half points. Doesn't sound like a lot today, uh, but when you have a 2,500 Dow, that's, that's a lot. It was 3.81%. Now, today, we see drops like that quite often, especially lately, right? That wasn't the big one, of course. It fell another 57.5 points, or 2.39% the next day, Thursday. And now the market was down about 12% from the all-time high that was hit on August 25th. On Friday, October 16th, I remember this day very well. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 108 points, 4.6% on record volume. Now, all the pundits were talking about maybe this is the capitulation, uh, maybe this market decline is over, uh, and um, we were starting to see declines also in, in, in markets all around the world at the same time. Now, people were just saying this is a normal correction. Look, you had a market go up 60-something percent in very short amount of time. Uh, correction was overdue. And now this is the correction we've been waiting for. And it's healthy for the markets. So the markets were closed, obviously, for the weekend. But we started seeing computer models starting to get ready to sell more and more stock. And we'll talk about computers and what they did. Um, and there was indications, rumors around Wall Street that there was going to be a big sell-off Monday. Mutual funds were starting to see redemptions. People were calling up their mutual fund companies. Uh, you didn't go online to do it then. Uh, now it's even easier because you go online and sell. You know, But, but people were calling 
uh, mutual fund companies over the weekend and putting in sell orders. So, you know, these mutual fund companies, they knew over the weekend that they had to sell because, look, when a mutual fund gets redemptions, they have to sell securities to come up with the cash to pay back the shareholders, right? So everybody knew that come Monday, uh, there was going to be a large sell situation, especially in the morning. And overnight, we started seeing uh, 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 crashes in overseas markets. It started in Hong Kong. Then it spread to Europe. And I remember before the market opened, um, I'm watching what was uh, the only financial news network at the time. I think it was FNN, uh, Financial News Network, which morphed into CNBC later on, uh, that they were talking before the market opened that, you know, futures were down a lot. And that many stocks may not even open on time because there was such huge selling balances, so much selling. Now, back in the day, you know, there was something called specialists on the New York Stock Exchange. And what specialists were were market makers. There was a specialist in IBM stock. There was a specialist in General Motors stock. So when you wanted to buy or sell stock and you got an order from your brokerage firm and you're on the floor as a floor trader. Now, my father-in-law was a floor trader for Goldman Sachs for most of his career. So I know how this works. He would get an order from upstairs to sell 100,000 shares of IBM, and he'd walk over to the specialist booth that dealt with IBM, and he'd announce his order to the specialist. And then the specialist will try to pair that off with the buyer, or he'd take it in himself to make a smooth market. But the specialists were getting so overwhelmed with sell orders that they couldn't take it in themselves, otherwise they'd go bankrupt, and there was no buyers to buy. So those order imbalances were so large that 95 stocks in the S&P 500 index opened late and 11 stocks in the, in, of the 30 Dow Jones stocks opened late. But the futures market opened on time with heavy selling. And when futures go down, it pushes down stocks. We're not getting too complicated. But the bottom line, on Black Monday, the Dow fell 508 points which was 22.6%. Could you imagine in one day, today, tomorrow tomorrow is Monday. What if we had another Black Monday tomorrow and the market dropped 22%? You know how much that is? That's almost 7,000 points in one day. Now, back in the day, nobody had 401ks and stuff like that, you know, with, with hundreds of thousands of dollars in it. Imagine having a 401k with significant amount of money in it. Now, everybody was in the stock market because the stock market was the rage since 1982, and especially in 1987. Everybody was dancing in August. You got a 67% increase, whatever it was, for the year. Everybody was partying. Everybody was overexposed to stocks. And when the music stopped, people were getting killed. And uh, the tar- troubling part about this largest one-day percentage drop in history, um, a, a lot of the selling was in the last 90 minutes of trading. And a lot of uh, stocks were just halted uh, because they just couldn't, couldn't trade. There was no bids. And finally, a relief, if you want to call it that, set in 
when the market finally closed. And people said, what is this? I mean, we got 22% decline. And think about it. You know, we were down almost 10% the week before. So you're talking about a 32% decline in the market in a week. And everybody wondered what this portended. And now I, I didn't sleep very well that night. And another thing, too, you know, NASDAQ, the over-the-counter stocks, the way you traded them, now it's all computerized. You just put a sell order in the computer and it zips through and it gets executed. Back in those days, you had to call a market maker similar to a specialist. A market maker was a brokerage firm that made a market in the stock. And they were obligated to honor their bid or offer if you're buying or, or, or bid if you're selling. But these market makers, the way you did the trade, you called up their trade desk. Well, you call up a trade desk, nobody would answer the phone. Imagine trying to sell a position out and nobody answers the phone on the market maker side. You can't sell. As you're watching your position drop and drop and drop, you cannot sell. Another thing that precipitated this was something called program trading. Program trading was relatively new in 1987. What would happen is the computers would sell automatically when the market dropped a certain percent, which just caused more selling, which caused the computers to sell even more, and it fed on itself. There was something also called portfolio insurance, which is similar to that. When you had a position in a portfolio that dropped X percent, it was automatically sold. So when you have all this going on in mass, that's how you had a crash. There was no protections built in. Now, there was rumors going around that there was going to be collapse of securities firms across the board. There was no liquidity. Margin calls were going out where people who were on margin, which most people were at that time. Why not? The market's going up. Borrow as much money as you can, right? Well, when the market drops, you've got to put up more money or you're forced to sell. So that forced selling also exacerbated the decline. And there was a real risk that, that big institutions were going to fail. And that the entire financial system and the real economy was going to crash. Um, and the real worry was Tuesday morning, there was a liquidity problem. Firms couldn't come up with cash to pay other firms. And there was a, a real risk of Tuesday being worse than Monday as far as the downturn was. And then the Federal Reserve came to the rescue. And the Federal Reserve came out before the market opened and and came out and said, I guess, it, I think this was Alan Greenspan. He said, the Federal Reserve, consistent with its responsibilities as the nation's central bank, affirmed today its readiness to serve as a source of liquidity to support the economic and financial system. I mean, this was a pretty extraordinary announcement at the time. And it had a calming effect on the markets. And because it was a demand for liquidity and the Fed comes out, we'll supply all the liquidity that is necessary. Sounds a lot like what the Bank of England just did a couple of weeks ago, right? When their bonds were crashing and, and the pension system, which is highly leveraged to the bond market, uh, was at risk of uh, becoming insolvent. The Bank of England came out and said, we'll provide liquidity into the bond market. We'll do quantitative easing. We'll buy as many bonds as necessary to support the system.
It's the exact same thing that the Federal Reserve did on October 20th, the morning after. And it worked. Uh, on October 20th, the Fed injected $17 billion into the banking system. And that was equal to, at the time, 25% of bank reserve balances and 7% of the monetary base of the entire nation. So that was a huge... Now, now, now today, $17 billion is a drop in the bucket, you know, but... At that time, in 1987, $17 billion was a lot of money. And the Fed continued providing liquidity to the market for, for several weeks thereafter. And uh, because they announced this prior to the market open on Tuesday the 20th, the crash was over. And it was a, a relatively brief crash, you know, when you look back on it. The market recovered uh, within six months. And we did not have a depression or even a severe recession in 1983. Uh, So, I mean, the Fed was very successful in rescuing the economy, the market, the financial system. Uh, And then the next real real big crash we had was 2008, right? That did usher in a long-term recession, right? The Great Recession, right? Because it was a different makeup. The reason why was totally different. When we look back, the crash of 1987 was just due to overvaluations. The market went up too quick, too fast. People all ran to take profits at the same time when things started going down. We had a declining dollar. but We had uh, rising interest rates. Uh, but the economy itself was pretty good. Not the same uh, uh, that happened in 2008. And not the same as our economy today which has totally different dynamics. Now, it was the biggest decline in history. Uh, In 1929, the crash in 1929, the worst day was um, down 12%, roughly half of what happened on Black Monday. So it was truly a historic day in uh, world financial markets. And again, I, I remember it very vividly. And think about it, yeah, you know, how scared me and my partner Martin were. We're going to talk about it, you know, in the second hour when he's on with me. I mean, here we are, 27 years old, you know, we're putting together, scraping together 10000 each, you know, to start the firm. Uh, we're going into a brokerage firm we're going to start, and the market crashes the worst in history. And we're going into a depression. We're like, what are we getting ourselves into? And here we are 35 years later, <laughs> and AFM is still thriving. So we'll talk about that later on in the program. Uh, it's an interesting story, to say the least. So can it happen again? That's the question. And the answer is no. It cannot happen again. Why can't it happen again, Lou? Well, because there's something now that was instituted after the crash of 1987, and that's called circuit breakers. What's a circuit breaker? Think about a circuit breaker for electric, right? It gets gets overloaded, it trips, and it stops. Well, that's what a circuit breaker is in the stock market. When the market goes down a certain amount, or up actually, um, it triggers a circuit breaker. It, it triggers a stop in trading. And is that good or bad? Uh, well, um, a lot of debate is out on that. And this is the way it works. Um, it changes periodically. Uh, there's three levels of circuit breakers. If the market drops 7%, the market closes for 15 minutes. 
Just no trading. The market just stops. And the theory is, you know, that 15 minutes are going to let cooler heads prevail. But it really doesn't. It makes people panic because now they can't do anything for 15 minutes. And as soon as it opens up again, many times it just goes down more. Then if you hit 13% down, it closes for 15 minutes again. Again, does it work? I don't think so. And then when you hit 20% down in a day, the market closes for the day. So uh, you can have a 20% down day. You can't have a 22.6% down day like we did in the Great Crash in 1987. Uh, but you can't have 20%. Now, the last time we saw these circuit breakers kicked in was the COVID crash, if you recall. Market, market stopped trading uh, two or three times in the day that the market crashed uh, with the COVID shutdown. So the question is, do they work? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, because uh, I know in the COVID crash, you know, once the market opened up again, it just went down further. And uh, traders don't like uh, not to have the ability to trade. There's also... Um, Circuit breakers for individual stocks. If individual stocks move too much, uh, they have circuit breakers there as well. So lots of concerns about the market right now. Uh, After the break, we'll talk about what happened Friday and what I think is going to happen with the Federal Reserve because there's a lot of similarities uh, to what happened in 1987. Uh, But you can see how important the Federal Reserve is. You see how important it is that you can create money out of thin air and just support markets. It's artificial. Is it healthy in the long run? You know, we'll discuss that. Uh, But the fact is, is Alan Greenspan did the right thing on the morning of Tuesday, October 20th. And if he failed to do that, uh, I shudder to think, you know, what would have happened to the market, the economy, the banking system, and everything else. So that's the Black Monday, 1987. Hopefully we never experienced another day like that or anything close to it. Unfortunately, I think uh, the risk of us repeating history, uh, maybe not to that extent. Um, You know, look, if you have these circuit breakers, all right, so you don't have a 22% crash in one day. Does it matter if you have it over four days? At the end of the day, your 401k is still down 22% this week. Uh, uh, But it's a little different than having it happen uh, all at once. All right, let's take a short break. Uh, 732-237-9626 is our call-in number. My name is Lou Skatigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to JerseyShoreSeptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most 
most affordable rates. Brick Township has plenty to offer in November and December to celebrate this holiday season. Go grab all your Thanksgiving goodies at the Farmer's Market on Saturday, November 19th from 8.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at Windward Beach Park. The annual tree lighting will take place on Wednesday, November 30th at 5.30 p.m. at Town Hall, located at 401 Chambers Bridge Road. Also join them for the menorah lighting on Monday, December 19th at 5.30 p.m. For more info, go to BrickTownship.net. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. I'm Lou Skatigna, certified financial planner, author, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician, heard each Sunday morning, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com. Don't let interest rates, inflation, and market volatility keep you awake at night. Come to my Tom's River office for a no-obligation professional diagnosis of your financial health. I'll review your investments, income taxes, and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial estate plan that will improve your financial health and, most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or plan to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday morning, 7 to 9, for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, registered investment advisory service to afford Advisory Group. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. Hey, how are you doing this? Hey, thank you for joining us for the financial physician. We get together every Sunday live right here on 92.7 WOBM here on the Jersey Shore. You want to listen live, but you're out of our listening zone, go to thefinancialphysician.com and click the listen live button and you could... Uh, Listen to the stream of the show live anywhere you have an internet connection or if you uh, sleep late or you have things to do Sunday mornings, just go to the podcast at the financial physician dot com where Paul puts it up right after the show is over. So uh, uh, easy uh, to listen to the show live or um, later on or in segments, uh, the podcast. Uh, So many of you have moved to the podcast because now that we're. We moved from the AM station 9 to 11 to 7 to 9 here. Many of you don't get up that early or go to church or whatever. The podcast is always available, and uh, we have record numbers of downloads of the podcast. So a lot of you are listening to the podcast. I appreciate that. I appreciate you sharing it uh, with other people because we talk about very important things here that affect all of our lives here on The Financial Position, and we talk about things that you just don't hear uh, elsewhere. Let's talk about uh, the markets, uh, uh, on, particularly on Friday of last week. Okay. The markets obviously have been having an awful year. 
I mean, uh, the S&P 500 prior to the last week was down 25 percent. Uh, NASDAQ even worse, down 35 percent. I mean, these are huge losses that people are experiencing in their 401ks and uh, the market in general. We're seeing bond yields go from under 1% a year ago to now um, as high as 4.3% uh, Friday morning. Uh, so we see real devastation uh, in the markets purely due to the Fed. You know, we talked about the power the Fed has. You know, they've ri- ro- rose interest rates from zero to about three and a quarter percent, the most uh, in- uh, quickest increase in rates in history. Now, you know, relatively speaking to, to real interest rate increases in the past, it's, it's pretty low. But when you go from zero to three and a quarter, uh, what percent gain is that in interest rates? And the thing that, that, that's different now than 1987, as I mentioned earlier, is the amount of debt in the system. Government debt, we hit a new record just recently, $31 trillion here in the United States. Uh, but countries worldwide have taken on huge amounts of debt. Uh, We see uh, municipalities indebted. We have uh, the average family indebted. Corporations have been been issuing bonds to buy back their own stock. And we have a record amount of debt in the system. Some estimates worldwide are something like $328 trillion in debt. So when you have debt like that, whether it's in the form of bonds or in the form of credit cards or, or mortgages or, or, or whatever, uh, any increase in that debt has deleterious effects to the value of bonds, to your ability to buy a home or a car. Uh, it affects unemployment eventually. It affects economies and everything else. And we're starting to see things go haywire in world financial markets with just a small adjustment in interest rates, I mean, relative to history. As I mentioned earlier, and I mentioned in previous shows, I mean, the Bank of England had to go from quantitative tightening to, uh, to battle inflation to massive quantitative easing virtually overnight because their bond prices were dropping, interest rates were soaring, and since pensions have a lot of government debt that they've leveraged, they've taken $10 million and bought $100 million worth of bonds that were dropping and they were getting margin calls and uh, forced selling and everything else, the, the pension system in England was absolutely collapsing. And, of course, the central bank, the Bank of England, could not allow that to happen, and they had to come out and announce, hey, forget the inflation, forget t- tightening. We're going to bail out the bond market. Now, here in the United States, we saw Friday morning, the futures were down Pre-market, 300, 400 points to Dow. The 10-year Treasury note hit 4.3%, the highest level it's been in 15 years, something like that. And there's a lot of rumors that, you know, our pension system uh, have invested the same way. They have a lot of government bonds that have been highly leveraged. And as interest rates go up, bond prices go down. And the Fed sees this. The dollar's been very strong. It's causing all kinds of worldwide problems because we're exporting our inflation around the world. It's hurting emerging market economies who have massive debts denominated in dollars and have to be paid back in expensive dollars now. It's causing multinational corporations in the United States here who sell product overseas. Their products are becoming more expensive. Currency values are so important, and and, and that's one of the big drivers of what's happening 
economically and in financial markets around the world is the strength of the U.S. dollar. You would say, why is the U.S. dollar so strong? Well, our economy isn't good and our political situation isn't good. Well, it's because our currency and our economy are the, are, are, are the best one of all the crappy ones. So the money goes there. When you see Europe as a basket case with the inflation they have, the energy problems they have, a war in their backyard, I mean, money's flowing out of Europe into the U.S. dollar for safety. And the world reserve currency status of the United States, which is being chipped away, but still is the reserve currency, attracts money. So uh, um, that's why the U.S. dollar has been so strong. And the Fed sees this and they say, oh, my God, what are we doing here? You know, we're destroying the bond market. Uh, we're destroying other countries. We're exporting inflation. We're putting pressure on the earnings of our multinationals. Uh, maybe we need to do something about this. So what they did before the opening, when it looks like we may have had a really, really bad day in the market, not Black Monday or something like that, but but who knows where it would have led. Uh, out comes a Wall Street journalist, uh, Wall Street Journal um, reporter. I forgot his name. Uh, but this, this reporter is known to have the Fed's ear. And what the Fed likes to do is they don't come out and say something. They leak it to a reporter that the market knows is in connection with the Fed. And they trotted him out on, on whether it's Fox News, Fox Business or CNBC, but it hit the wires. And he came out and said that he's hearing that the Fed may pause interest rate hikes in December. That's the pivot that everybody's been waiting for. And I was going to say last week's show, and I didn't say it, I didn't get to it, that I thought that the interest rate hike in the first week of November is going to be the last one. And the reason I said that is because I see what's happening in these financial markets, and the markets can't tolerate any more hikes in interest rates. Damn inflation, it doesn't really matter. I mean, if the economy and the stock market and the housing market and the bond market all implode, what good is battling inflation, right? We'll be in depression. We'll be in a deflationary depression. What's better? So they trotted this guy out. Miraculously, all of a sudden, interest rates started dropping in the bond market. The dollar started going down. Stock index futures started going up. And we had a day where... Uh, uh, the Dow was up 750 points by the end of the day, 2.5% for the day, when it looked like it was going to be a dreadful day. The S&P 500 was up 2.37% for the day, and the NASDAQ was up 2.31%. Interest rates dropped from 4.3%, to only dropped a little bit to 4.23%, still the highest weekly close we've had in something like 15 years. But rates were just relentlessly moving higher, and obviously the Fed felt something needed to be done. Now, later in the day, they also trotted out a Federal Reserve governor. His name was Daly, and he came out, and re he reiterated that maybe we're going too fast. And we may need to slow down and, and look at the data and see what's happening. Now, these are very calculated things. These are not things that just happened. This reporter didn't come out before the open on Friday, where this wasn't a plan, where, where the Fed didn't plan this. 
And uh, the Federal Reserve governor didn't come out and say what he said, just off off the cuff. This was meant to affect markets. So for the week, the Dow had a very nice rebound week. Uh, The markets are oversold. It doesn't take much to get these markets going up, especially if people feel that the Federal Reserve is done raising interest rates. Now, how is that going to affect inflation if they're going to stop here? It's going to make it worse. And I always said that the Fed, when it comes to looking at a deflationary depression versus an inflation problem, would always opt for the inflation problem. Inflation is always more palatable. It's the easiest road to go down versus deflation. Deflation means bankruptcies, people losing everything, losing their houses, losing their jobs. Yeah, it beats inflation. I mean, you won't have inflation in that scenario. You'll have the opposite. Asset prices dropping. People poor. Can't afford anything, so how could prices go up? But think about that. The poverty we have in this country now, Americans just trying to get by. Imagine uh, having unemployment skyrocket to 20%. Although some economists believe it's there already. uh, But that's another story. For the week, the Dow's up almost 5%. Um, year to date, still down 14 and a half, almost 15 percent. Uh, S&P was up almost 5 percent for the week, uh, still down over 21 percent, still in bear market territory for the year. NASDAQ had a nice week, up 5.22 percent, down 31 percent for the year still. As I said, the 10-year Treasury, still a lofty 4.23 percent. I mean, the Fed didn't say they're going to lower interest rates. You know, it's not that they, you know, they intimated that. They just intimated that maybe we won't increase interest rates in the December meeting. And the market believed they would prior to this. So is this the pivot that everybody's waiting for? We'll see. But I don't think that the market should get too giddy about this. I think we'll see maybe a couple of weeks here of a a rally because the market is very oversold. It takes that fear of the Fed continuing to raise rates out of the market for a little while. We'll see what happens to bond yields going forward. This 10-year yield really has to drop from, you know, right here about four and a quarter to to at least three and a half for the markets to be okay and for the economy to stabilize, I believe. Um. So it's a relief rally, uh, made people feel better. Uh, If you were short this market, you got your head ripped off uh, on Friday. That's why it's so difficult to short markets because, you know, the market has the Fed that can come out at any time and provide liquidity or, 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 or buy up stock futures or buy up the bond market. And even though your assessment of the market's valuation and the economy may be right, There's an old adage in Wall Street, never fight the Fed. And boy, is that true. Gold, which has been having a terrible time because of the strong dollar. You know, gold in in euro terms, yen terms, and other currencies around the world are, if not at record highs, close to it. But in dollar terms, you know, we're $400 off the record high because of the strong dollar. Um. But when uh, uh, when this was announced, when this report came out, all of a sudden the dollar started to fall in value. 
and gold quarter bid, silver quarter bid. Uh, gold was up twenty eight dollars an ounce on Friday uh, after being down at sixteen seventeen at the low before the market opened. It closed at sixteen sixty three. So we had about a forty or fifty dollar turnaround in gold. Silver was up almost a dollar to nineteen forty two. And silver, uh, as I said many times before, it's the most undervalued asset on the planet. There's not too many assets uh, on the planet Earth that are not overvalued, whether it's stocks, real estate, to name a few. Uh, uh, But silver, uh, especially gold and silver, but silver especially. It was at 17 and changed not long ago. That's ridiculous. That's the cost... To mine it. I mean, whenever you get down to uh, mining costs, where something, uh, any commodity is selling at the cost of producing it, people stop producing it. There's no profit or loss to do it. And that that curtails supply. So when you see any commodity at the, the cost of production, it's a buy. And we've never seen a silver shortage like we're seeing now. That That's what's so perplexing. Dealers around the country, big dealers, can't get inventory. I go to site after site after site, out of stock, out of stock, for maybe six weeks before we can get it. The Mint isn't selling any more Silver Eagles. I mean, have you ever seen a market where there's no supply and the price goes down? That shows you how dysfunctional uh, the futures market is, where they sell paper contracts. They establish the price in the futures market. It's the only market where the derivative... Now, the word derivative means it derives its value from the value of something else. So the derivative market, the futures market, should be driven by the physical market. Well, the physical market right now, if you could obtain an ounce of silver, is $38. And meanwhile... Silver is $19 on the futures exchange in the spot market. Nobody's at, we've never seen premiums at 80%, 90% like we're seeing now. And we haven't seen scarcity. Everybody wants to buy silver and gold right now, but you can't get it. Why aren't these prices soaring? They are. They're soaring in the physical market where you actually buy metal, uh, not the paper market. So someone asked me, what's silver today? I say $37, and they go, what do you mean? I just saw on the screen it said 1942. Well, that's a paper market. You only want to buy an ounce of silver and hold it in your hand. Good luck. Let me see how much it costs you. As a matter of fact, dealers are now paying to get product. They are paying sellers $10 over the spot price. So they'll pay you $29.42 for your your one-ounce American Eagle silver coin. So that's what you could sell it for. But the spot price is nineteen forty two. <laughs> that makes no sense. And now we're starting to see players on the futures exchange taking delivery. You know, I think a contract is 5,000 ounces of silver. Uh, but when you buy a contract to buy silver at $18, if it goes to 20 you just sell the contract at the end of the term and make $2 on your 5,000 uh, ounces and you make 10000 you're happy. Very rarely do you say, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want the cash. I just wanted 5,000 ounces. But now players in that market are doing it. And why wouldn't they? If you could take delivery, 
Five thousand ounces of silver at nineteen dollars, and you could sell it at thirty something dollars. Why wouldn't you do it, right? And that's what we're starting to see more and more people do it. Also, we're seeing um, central banks. You never see who these people are, but central banks are saying, "Hey, you know, we're you know, especially in China and in Russia and all these BRIC countries are trying to buy as much gold as they can. Why would you? Why would you buy uh, pay premiums for it when you can go on the exchange and say, I want delivery?" Which, by the way, is going to destroy the COMEX exchange mechanism for setting prices, but that's another story. Uh, Bitcoin hovering around 19,000, went below 19,000, 1,800. You know, these cryptos are, are the worst performing assets uh, this year um, in the country, down over 60-something percent. I think eventually going to zero. Because if we have time, we'll talk about digital currencies later in the program. That's the Federal Reserve digital currency. It's coming they don't want any competition for it because they want to see what everybody's transactions are. The one thing about cryptocurrencies is that it's private. You don't see it. Uh, gasoline still hovering national average around $4. Um, the Biden administration came out and they're, they're going to sell another 15 million uh, of our strategic uh, reserves. Uh, you know, this is obviously purely political. Um, but what what are they going to do? They're going to sell it, and then after the election's over, they're going to have to replenish it, right? Well, what's that going to do to oil prices when they go back in the market and try to buy these 100 million barrels that they sold to replenish our reserves? They're going to buy it back all at higher prices, right? Typical. We could have bought as much as we wanted in the 20s, which, which Trump wanted to do, to top off our strategic reserve. The Democrats stopped them. Oil closed at $85 a barrel, way off its high of 120-something uh, months back, uh, but still stubbornly high. 30-year fixed mortgage hit a new high in this cycle this week, 7.32%. It's amazing how high uh, mortgage rates are right now. And, of course, it's affecting the housing market uh, in a big way. And that may be one reason why... Um, the Fed came out through their minions and um, and said maybe they're going to pivot here or at least pause. I mean, I'm looking at a chart of the strategic uh, petroleum reserve, just watching it drop, 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 40-year low. Now, I'm worried about, you know, for those of us old enough to remember the uh, Arab oil embargo in 1974-75, you know, Saudi Arabia now is, is is we're pissing them off. They raised, they lowered production. Uh, Biden's been threatening them in so many different ways. A year or two ago, they cozied up to the Russians in a military alliance. And I made a big deal about it on this program at the time. Nobody else seemed to do it. Uh, and I said they're, they're pivoting. There's that word again, pivot. They're, they're pivoting towards the BRIC countries, towards Russia. And that's very dangerous. Because what if they just turn off the oil? They've done it before. What if we get involved? We're, we already are involved in a war against Russia, but what if it becomes NATO against Russia, really? And Saudi Arabia is aligned with China and Russia and the other BRICS. And they just turn off our oil. Well, the Russians did it to the Europe, haven't they? And we, our strategic petroleum reserve has been depleted. We have 22 days worth of energy. 
What would that do to our economy? What would do that do to our military readiness? Again, without a shot being fired, America would be destroyed. So uh, it, it, it's just a political thing. Everything that this administration does is political. It's not for the betterment of the United States of America, nothing. I mean, actually, if you see everything they've done, it's just the opposite. Day one, shutting off the Keystone Pipeline. How's that working out for you, Joe? Average Americans' retirement accounts are down 25% this year. Right? Down 35000 Um, That's pretty devastating. And I've seen some dead, dead, really devastated people in my practice. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of new people who uh, they're seeing their 401ks ravaged. And uh, they're coming to me with, what do I do? Uh, and uh, they're so close to retirement. Now, this 35000 average is, you know, I mean, the average 401k balance is not that high. It's like $40,000. So not, it's like $70,000. You know, so when you look at people with 401ks with 500000 a million, and they're down 25, 30%, that's some real money. Now, of course, if they listen to me on this program for years and I say, don't overexpose yourself to the market based on your age, uh, they wouldn't be lamenting like they are now, but it is what it is. Uh, and this is the you know the first year in a long time where we're seeing devastation in not only the, the stock market but the bond market as well. Yeah, to that the housing market is a headline. Home U.S. existing home sales crashed to eight year lows. Existing home sales drop one point five percent month over month in September. Uh, existing home sales are now down twenty four percent year over year, the worst drop since November twenty ten not counting the COVID lockdowns. This is the eighth straight month, monthly drop in existing home sales. Worst losing streaks in 2007. And it's, of course, uh, home sales are down. Why wouldn't they be? People can't afford a house with a 7.3% mortgage. And that may be another reason why the Fed's pivoting now. You know how big the housing market is, how it drives the entire economy, the, the tangential businesses, whether you're a contractor, whether you're a plumbing supply, lumber, furniture, retail in a lot of different ways. For a lot of people, their rising house prices was their piggy bank to refinance at low rates and pull out cash and buy a new car. Food inflation uh, right now is running higher uh, than general inflation. Now, it's a perfect storm for for the middle class, which is disappearing. Every day, more and more people are dropping out of the middle class. I saw an article this week, it's probably in the pile here somewhere, where it said that the average American family, uh, 50% of Americans make less than 3300 a month. Which is what less than forty thousand a year, not ca- minus taxes. How do you live on that? How does fifty percent of Americans live taking home twenty five hundred a month? 
How do you pay your mortgage, your car payment, your credit card payment, your, your insurance, your cell phone, your cable, your heat, your electric, which are all going up? I don't know. But it's a pretty bad here, the inflation rate, but it's worse. You could be in Germany. German producer prices surged 45% annually in September. The biggest increase on record for the second month in a row. Can you imagine that? Germany's producer prices rose strongly in September from a year earlier, driven by higher energy prices. Producer prices rose 45.8%, also almost 46% year over year in September. It was 45.8% uh, in August. That was the biggest increase ever recorded. So it's it's staying the same. Biden would say inflation was flat last month. It didn't go up. It just stayed at 45.8%. Unbelievable. Energy prices rose 132.2% from a year earlier. Natural gas is up 192.4% on a year. Electric is up uh, 158.3% which is the major drivers behind the increase. If you take out energy, the producer price index is up 14%. (laughs) So energy is the issue, right? That's why we shouldn't be draining a strategic petroleum reserve and punching Saudi Arabia in the face at the same time. But that would make too much sense for this administration. Retail spending is down again uh, when indexed for inflation. Welcome to the Biden economy. Of course, re- now retail sales are only staying, staying up because people are spending more money on the same stuff. They're not buying anything more. It's just what they are buying, like gasoline and food, is costing them more money. Uh, Saudi, uh, South Africa confirms Saudi Arabia will join BRICS alliance with China and Russia and move away from the U.S. with explosive consequences. That's the headline I was talking about earlier. Saudi Arabia, the largest U.S. export market in the Middle East, invited Chinese President Xi to visit Riyadh in March as relations with the U.S. have faltered since Joe Biden was elected. Remember when Trump visited Saudi Arabia, how they treated him like a king? Do you remember that visit? I do. And it's totally been just the opposite now. According to a report from CNN, U.S. intelligence agencies have assessed that Saudi Arabia is now actively manufacturing its own ballistic missiles with the help of China. And uh, under Biden, Dementia Joe, uh, we're being mocked on the international stage. You know, what used to be U.S. allies are now all aligning with China and Russia. Not Europe, but other allies. India, Saudi Arabia, South Africa. Saudi Arabia announced in March that's considering accepting Chinese yuan instead of the U.S. dollar in future transactions. And I've told you what that means for the value of the dollar and its reserve currency status. If this will end the U.S. dollar supremacy in the world. And it was facilitated by Joe Biden and the Democrats and some Republicans, rhinos. It's amazing. Joe Biden and, more importantly, his handlers are destroying the United States right in front of our eyes. In July, Saudi Arabia uh, was invited to join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, 
and BRICS. BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and I think the S is for South Africa. So we see uh, a cleaving, if you would, in economic alliances uh, where we're going to have two different systems, one dollar-based and one based on a currency backed by gold, silver, commodities. And uh, that does not bode well for the U.S. and the U.S. dollar. All right, top of the hour, 732-237-9626 is the call number. My name is Luz Katigna. Don't go away. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. All right, welcome to hour two of this thing of ours we call the financial physician. We get together each and every Sunday, live, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at the financial physician. Uh, .com. Just stumbling upon our show, driving down the parkway, just stumbled upon it, or you're just waking up, or you're getting out of church and you missed the first hour. We had a great first hour talking about uh, Black Monday 35 years ago, talking about the crash and uh, what's going on economically and in the markets. So you don't want to miss that. Just go to thefinancialphysician.com where we'll have the podcast right after the program. Paul has it up literally five minutes after the show is over, uh, and you can listen to the show. Uh, at your leisure. Love your emails, Lou, at thefinancialphysician.com. You have a personal finance question or uh, comment on the show or something you want me to cover. Love your emails. I answer each and every one, unless you're nasty. I put a couple of people into ignore this week. <laughs> uh, we talk about some things that, that touch the nerve of certain people uh, that are not regular listeners to this program. It's amazing. I, I had a guy who sends me emails like every week, like, he disagrees with everything I have to say, but he listens. And I always wonder, why would you listen to a show where you disagree with the host? Maybe he's a masochist. Maybe we'll convert him, though. I think over time, you listen long enough, you'll see that what I'm talking about uh, is uh, is the truth. Um, anyway, 732-237-9626 is the call number if you want to be you know, part of our program. You have a question uh, that I could help you with or a comment on anything I said. Uh, all calls are welcome here. On the financial physician, um, as I had told you in the past, um, I-bonds, a place where you could put money in rock-safe place without any risk, are still paying 9.62% for the next six months. If you buy them between now and the end of October, you're going to get 9.62% for six months. Now, November 1st, the interest changes, and we know what that interest is going to be now. It's going to be 6.48%. So it's dropping because the CPI has come down a little bit. But if you buy now, in the next week or so, you're going to get 9.62% for the next six months. Now, six months from now, 
it's going to adjust down to 6.48% for the next six months. So if you average that out, you know, you're looking at about an 8% rate of return, risk-free for the next year. Where else can you get that? Now, there's some limitations to it. You can only put in $10,000 a year per Social Security number. I wish you could put $100,000 in. Boy, how many people would be, well, that wouldn't be good for the stock and bond market because people would be cashing in everything to buy 9.62% guaranteed money. Maybe that's the reason why they limit you to 10000 right? Um, but uh, the interest uh, is tax deferred. Now, you can either claim the interest annually or you could defer it until you cash in the bond, which would make, maybe make for a big tax bite then. But that's up to you. And it compounds um, semi-annually. Also, uh, since it is a government bond, there's no state tax on that, which is pretty good, too. So that makes it even more valuable. So why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, uh, Now, it's not the easiest thing to do. I mean, you have to um, open up an account on Treasury Direct, uh, which is the U.S. uh, Treasury's website. If you're ever going to buy government bonds, you're not buying them through a broker. You're trying to buy them through uh, um, the Treasury itself. You have to open up an account in Treasury Direct. You put your bank account number in it, and automatically money shifts over to the Fed, and you buy your bonds. It's a little clunky, but it's not that hard. So you go to treasurydirect.gov and just follow the prompts, your name, Social Security number, address, all that kind of stuff. Uh, your bank information, uh, how much you want to buy of the I-bond, and uh, you click on it, and the money comes right out of your checking account or savings account and pays for those bonds. Now, there is some restrictions when you buy I-bonds. The first one is you have to hold it a year. You are saying goodbye to that money for one year. Under no circumstances can you get that money out. So make sure that if you're going to buy, you know, invest in this, in these I-bonds, that you don't need that money. You have other funds. Now, you can't do it in an IRA. There's no way of setting that up. But if you're married, you can get 10000 in your name and Social Security number. You can get 10000 in your wife's or husband's Social Security number. You can get 10000 in each of your children's Social Security number. So if you have two kids, you, you could do 40000 Getting 8% or so over the next year, risk-free. It's pretty damn good. It's been a long time since people can get risk-free returns like that, right? So buy them now. Don't wait till the last minute. You got to buy them in the next few days. Um, otherwise, you're going to get 6.48% for the next six months. So how can you not do this if you could afford to do so and you have a computer and you know how to use it? Now, uh, that's a pretty good rate of return. But you know what's even a better rate of return? Winning the Powerball jackpot last night. Anybody, anybody know if anybody won last night? I don't know either. But I think it was up to something like, what, what was it, $600 million or something like that? And uh, I, I guess that would be a good thing to win that. Uh, many, many of us fantasize over what we do with that kind of money. Um, I think the best part would be giving it away to people you love, <laughs> giving a lot of money to people and causes and stuff like that. Uh, but um, it's a nice fantasy. 
But nobody won. Uh, nobody won last night. And the estimated jackpot is, is going to go up to $610 million. Nobody's won since August. Isn't that amazing? That shows you how hard it is to win. Because think about how many tickets are issued every week since then, and nobody wins. It's pretty pretty amazing. You remember, I think it was a year or two ago, a couple of years ago, uh, I think the biggest prize ever was like $1.4 billion. We still don't know who won that. Now, I was interviewed by 101.5 Town Square Media about what would you do? What should you do immediately if you would win? And uh, the article that they wrote was on um, 101.5's website, 92.7 websites. And I think a lot of times, Town Square Media is big. They have hundreds of, of stations around the country. So I think almost most of them pick it up. I, I'm not sure. But um, they quoted me in here and I said, the first thing you need to do is shut up. And what do I mean by that? I said, you can't let people know your fortune. And a lot of times you'll see people on TV three days after they win. And that's probably the biggest mistake you can make because you're not mentally prepared for the onslaught of the press um, you're going to get, as well as people want to take advantage of your newfound fortune. And uh, a lot of people just can't resist their moment in the spotlight. You know, their egos are fra- uh, the egos are so fragile. They want to be on TV. They want everyone to know how rich they are. And that's a big mistake because the less people that know, the better you're going to be in almost every situation. I mean, all of a sudden, you're going to be getting unwanted calls from financial advisors, people looking for investors in their business, stockbrokers, lawyers. So what do you do? All right, you wake up this morning. Now, nobody won last night, but say they, say you did, and you woke up this morning, and you... You go on the computer and you look at the, 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 the numbers and you say, holy crap. And you look at it six times, three times, 300 times. You're looking at the numbers. You say, And you wake up your wife and you say, honey, we won the Powerball. First of all, you wet your pants. Now, I know the first thing you want to do is pick up the phone and start telling everybody, right? That's not what you should do. Uh, what you should do now is to sign that ticket. That lottery ticket, you got to sign it, put it in the safe, put it in the safe place where you know you're not going to lose it, or nobody's going to steal it from you. And then you got to put together a team. That's why it's so important to be quiet about it, because it's going to take you a while to put this team together. Who is this team? A great accountant, a great financial planner, certified, and a great lawyer, and a great PR person. That's going to help you navigate the media onslaught that you're going to get. Most of us have no experience in media. So you don't know how to handle yourself. And it's real important that you get that proper advice by, from someone from PR. And you could afford the best, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you win $600 million. You could afford the best of all of these. Don't just call your, your accountant that does your tax return uh, and, and, and your stockbroker uh, at the bank corner office and the lawyer that did your will. Those are not the, that's not the team. That's the minor league team. That's the, that's the grammar school peewee team. You want to get the best of each and then do what they tell you. Get their counsel through your committee. 
Now, what happens if you're playing in the office pool? And a lot of us do that. Uh, get a copy of, of the tickets. So, you know, you're part of it. You see, you see what the tickets are. Now, if you have people in your office that participate on a regular basis and are out sick, include them. Somebody cover for them and get them in. You know, they play every week. You, you really want to taint this um, by having somebody that always played with you who's out sick and sees all his, his coworkers uh, sharing in $600 million and, and he skunked. When he was, you know, if he was there, he'd be part of it. You don't want that. First of all, he's probably going to sue you, and you don't need that legal thing going on, too. Now, I recall this actually happening to one of my clients. I don't know if you recall, but there was a big win in the pick six, uh, and the employees of Pathmark and Brick, uh, uh, a number of them were part of it. And uh, one guy was out sick, and he didn't, didn't put, put in his $5 or whatever it was. And they skunked him. And he wound up getting a lawyer, uh, and he uh, he sued them. And they wind up settling with him for quite a bit of money. Nowhere near what his percent would have been if he was part of it. Uh, but, you know, come on. I mean, uh, you got to do this. You got to do this. Um. So, and, and if you have a group, one person has to be the lead person's social security number because he's going to pay the tax on it uh, going forward. Uh, so, I guess it's a good thing. Uh, 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 it could be a bad thing. You know how many people's lives have been ruined by winning the lottery? And how many people wind up, now I'm not talking about a $600 million lottery, but, you know, win like a, a $2 million pick six, and it's all gone in five years. Pretty amazing. Now, we've had this big inflation problem, and um, it's going to have a positive effect on a few things. Uh, number one, tax brackets. Tax brackets are being expanded. So if you're in a lower tax bracket, you could earn more money and still be in that tax bracket before moving up to the next. I'm not going to go over all the tax brackets, uh, but for 2023, there's going to be a significant bracketing out, which is positive for um, taxpayers. Also, the standard deduction is growing, jumping about 7% for 2023. This is not the taxes you're going to do this year in, in, the, in the spring. I'm talking about for tax year 2023. Uh, we're going to see um, uh, substantial increases. Uh, for a single person, it's going to move up to $13,850, an increase of $900 from 2022. And uh, if you're married, finally jointly, it's going to go up 1800 to 27700 Now, if you recall, a few years back, uh, a new law doubled the standard deduction, uh, which now limited uh, the amount of um, people who itemize deductions because it's so large. Now, if you're a senior, you get $1,300 more, so it'll be 15000 for a single senior and 30000 for married seniors. So a lot more senior citizens are not going to have to file taxes because of this. Which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Um, now, on a bad thing is uh, the amount of, of income that's being Social Security taxes going up substantially. I don't know the figures in front of you, but it's going from some, some 140 something to 160. And uh, that's a pretty big, you know, increase. I think I figured it out. If you're if you make over 160, you're going to be paying like 850 dollars more in Social Security taxes which is a lot.
All right. What else do we have here? Oh, political correct stuff. It just gets crazier and crazier <laughs> every day. I can't believe some of this stuff. You can't make it up. Um, Joe Biden uh, brought to the White House this week uh, an influencer, a transgender influencer. Her, his name is Dylan Mulvaney. This is kind of a weird guy. Why the president of the United States would want to meet with this kind of person, I don't know. But he, he went to the White House to speak to the president of the United States of America about transgender issues and uh, what the transgender community can do to help the president and his party. It's the transgender community that's destroying the Democratic Party right now, uh, but they are uh, so tone deaf on this. This guy also did a, a video for... Um, Ulta Beauty, I don't know if you heard about this, that about his uh, using makeup and everything else. And, and a lot of women are saying they'll never, ever use Ulta again because they're diminishing womanhood. So anyway, this thing um, uh, did a video about her, his, whatever you want to call it, meeting uh, at the White House with the president. Listen to this. It's day 222 of being a girl. I'm in Washington, D.C., and I'm going to the White House to speak to the President of the United States. You know that phrase, I fear I may have girl boss too close to the sun? Well, that's how I feel today, because I get to sit down with Joe Biden and now this news, and I get to ask him a few questions surrounding trans issues in the United States and talk to him about my transness, and I, I really just want to represent my community the best that I can. And you know what? As silly as I am on here, I'm ready to step up and show that trans people, we're not going anywhere. And that trans kids, they deserve a fighting chance to be their true selves. Okay? Oh, my God, I'm running late. Let's go. And y'all are obviously wondering what I'm going to wear to meet the president. Here you go. It's the trans flag colors. Cute, right? So heels? Okay. Dylan, you're going to be great. I love you. Let's go. president wants to meet with um this is now starting to get really insane i mean really insane um oh this is another this is a, we're gonna do this quick one this is another uh video this guy put out he sent me five of being a girl and i've been carrying around tampons and pads for the past two months but i've actually never opened one up so let's do it woohoo I thought the letters stood for small, medium, and large based on the size of your Barbie pouch. But after a Google, I found out it's actually the level of your flow. So they're super, regular, and light. I guess my question is, which one do I carry around? The super? Because maybe... Are these people insane? Yes. Yes, they are insane. Yes, Lou, they are insane. <laughs> it's just, just crazy. Craziness. I mean... Do you think you'd ever see anything so insane? Now, uh, it's obvious now that um, the Democrats are in big trouble 
we're only two weeks away from the midterms, and uh, uh, even the New York Times are coming out and saying that uh, the, the GOP is leading Democrats in congressional races. And what's more important here, what's really, really um, a break here is independent women said they supported Democrats by 14 points in September. It's now switched to report uh, to Republicans by 18 points. I mean, you're talking about a 32 percent swing in support for Republicans from independent women. And let me tell you something. Women are the key. The majority of men, you know, vote Republican. Women are the key. Mothers are the key. And, you know, the Democrats believe that abortion is a big issue and they've been pushing abortion, abortion, abortion. Uh, but the poll shows that only 5% say abortion is their most important issue, with 44% saying the economy uh, and inflation is their top concern. So all the Republicans really need to do is just keep hammering inflation. Children in school and what's happening to them. Now, uh, Senator John Kennedy, uh, Paul, you know who he is, John Kennedy from Louisiana? Oh, very good guy. Yeah, he's he's a really folksy kind of guy, and, and the way he says things is pretty funny. So he came out this week, I don't know what he was on, but he was talking about this election coming up. Not going to try to bubble wrap it. The American people know that something's wrong in our country. I, I could talk about crime and the open border and and Afghanistan, and the economy, and inflation, but but something more fundamental is wrong in our country. Uh, and it is this. President Biden's policies have tainted, almost defiled, the American dream. Uh, President Biden, under President Biden's policies, it's harder than ever to get ahead in our country, and it's easier than ever to do nothing. Um, under President Biden's policies, uh, we've got too many undeserving people at the top getting bailouts. And we've got too many undeserving people at the bottom getting handouts. And the people in the middle get the bill. And they can't afford it anymore. But this can be fixed. Um, the American people don't have to put up with this. Uh, they don't have to wait until a honey bun costs 20 bucks to do something. In, uh, in 19 days, we have the midterm elections. Vote. Vote. Take a friend with you and go vote. As I've said before, if dead people can do it, so can you. <laughs> if dead people can do it, so can you. <laughs> Only uh, like uh, Senator Kennedy can say. Uh but, you know, he's right with what he says. I mean, people have had it. You know, what's going on? They know something's wrong in this country, economically, uh, culturally. I mean, we just played some crazy, insane stuff with this transgender stuff, what our kids are being taught in school. People have had it. And let me tell you, you know, we saw what happened with Youngkin, the governor in, in Virginia. It was women that put him over the top, mothers who believe they should have a, a, a bigger say in their in their children's education, that they shouldn't be taught about sexual craziness, you know, at five, six, seven years old. I just saw a video. I, I forgot exactly where I saw it, but it was just 
so insane that, I mean, this is radio, so I can't show it to you, but it was six, seven-year-old children humping, dry humping in their clothes. One's bent over, the other one's behind them, the, the guy's behind the girl humping. The whole class was doing it. Who's encouraging this? Who are these teachers? It's insanity. And this is why the Democrats are going down. Big. And I think that now I think that the Republicans are going to win the Senate. Some are saying by five seats. Uh, that you got, you got Republicans surging across the country. You have a, a poll that just came out yesterday. Uh, Dr. Oz is up 4.5% over Fetterman. How about this guy Fetterman? The guy can't even speak. He's, he's just a stroke victim. Oh, by the way, uh, Dementia Joe came to the stroke victim, and they did a rally together. Fetterman didn't say a thing. He didn't open his mouth once. And when Biden opened his mouth, it was gibberish. Uh, that, that, that should sway a lot of people. And I think there was, what, 10, 15 people there? Oh, by the way, I was watching uh, Trump's rally last night. Tens of thousands and thousands of people. Did you see the breakout spontaneously to the national anthem in the middle of it? It was amazing. 30,000 people singing the national anthem uh, ad hoc. And, of course, Trump was Trump doing his thing. Oh, well. Craziness that we live in is is just unbelievable. Uh, An appeals court yesterday uh, halted Biden's student loan forgiveness program, uh, at least temporarily blocked it. But the administration is lawless, so they said, we're going ahead with it anyway. They don't care. Uh, But, you know, an appeals court blocked it. Uh, uh, Six Republican-led states, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina, are trying to block the plan. And they've argued that the Biden administration doesn't have the power to issue nationwide debt relief without Congress. And that's true. That's the law. Congress is the one who would deal with something like that. But, you know... The president and the person with the hand up the back of his uh, suit uh, believes otherwise. <laughs> anyway, I can go on and on. I got so much stuff in front of me, but I'm not going to get to it. Right, let's take a break. 732-237-9626 is our call number. My name is Louis Katignett. Don't go away. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Brick Township has plenty to offer in November and December to celebrate this holiday season. Go grab all your Thanksgiving goodies at the Farmer's Market on Saturday, November 19th from 8.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at Windward Beach Park. The annual tree lighting will take place on Wednesday, November 30th at 5.30 p.m. at Town Hall located at 401 Chambers Bridge Road. Also join them for the menorah lighting on Monday, December 19th at 5.30 p.m. For more info, go to Brick Township 
HomeOwnership.net. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. I'm Lou Skatigna, certified financial planner, author, president of AFM Investments, and the host of The Financial Physician, heard each Sunday morning, 7 to 9, right here on 92.7 WOBM, or anytime at thefinancialphysician.com. Don't let interest rates, inflation, and market volatility keep you awake at night. Come to my Tom's River office for a no-obligation, professional diagnosis of your financial health. I'll review your investments, income taxes, and retirement plan. I'll suggest a comprehensive financial and estate plan that will improve your financial health, and most importantly, lower your financial risk during these uncertain times. If you are retired or plan to retire, I will show you strategies designed to increase your income and protect your estate from nursing home costs. Call us at 732-905-8100 and get on the road to a healthy financial future. That's 732-905-8100. Join me Sunday mornings, 7 to 9 for The Financial Physician right here on 92.7 WOBM or listen to the podcast at thefinancialphysician.com. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member of FINRA and SIPC, registered investment advisory service to move forward Advisory Group. Call the financial physician now at 732-237-9626. Here's Luz Katigna. All right, we're in the home stretch here. The last half hour of our two-hour show here, the financial physician. We get together every Sunday live, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. right here on 92.7 WOBM or anytime at the podcast at the financial physician.com. And uh if you missed uh the first hour and a half of the show, you missed a lot. So definitely go to thefinancialphysician.com. Click on the radio icon and uh, uh, just click on the podcast. The most latest show will bring you right to the podcast. So we have past shows there as well. If you want to go back and listen to past shows, they are available to you. But the current show will be up five minutes after the program is over at thefinancialphysician.com. Love your emails. You have a personal finance question I could help you with concerns about markets or something you want me to cover on the program or you just want to say hello, just send me an email at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I answer each and every email. If I don't answer your email, either it went in my junk email or it just got lost in the thousands of emails that we all get, uh, junk emails and so forth, uh, just send it again. Uh, uh, I'm not uh, purposely ignoring you. Unless you're not a nice person, then I am purposely ignoring you, <laughs> like I have a couple of people the last couple of weeks. Anyway, that's uh, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Uh, now, I said earlier, uh, we started to show off talking about Black Monday. The stock market crashed 35 years ago this past week, uh, and, and that truly is a historic anniversary. But there's another real anniversary that is pretty historic, at least in in my book, is uh, the founding of my company, AFM Investments. We were putting the company together with my guest here, which we'll talk, uh, I'll tell you who he is in a second. Um, we were putting our firm together, uh, uh, and we were opened up in October of 1987. So we really lived the crash, and uh, for both of us, I'm sure that it's a, 
an indelible memory in us, even though it was 35 years ago. And joining me is my business partner of 35 years and the co-founder of AFM Investments, Martin Salzman. Martin, welcome to the program. Hey, welcome, Lou. Glad to be here. You know, I don't have guests very often, but I thought today would be fitting uh, to have you on, given it is the 35th anniversary of the founding of our our financial firm uh, and uh, how it coincided with the crash of uh, 1987. And... Um, I really am not sure we really liked the idea that those two things went together. <laughs> no. As a matter of fact, I think we looked at each other and said, are we crazy? The market just crashed, and here we are. We're going to be opening up our own investment firm. You reminded me of something before we went on the air about what we were doing in the office, uh, that uh, the office was gutted, and there was nothing in there. That we had just built the new office building that we were putting our stuff in, and you were saying how we were laying out our offices. And what did you say? We were I, I said that we were taking these corrugated tubes and we were laying out where we thought we'd like to have each of our offices and that was before i believe the crash occurred i think that was the week before uh as we were setting up the office was being built out and the day of the crash and 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 as i said in the opening the crash started basically the week before the wednesday before on the 14th the market had gone down it went down thursday again and then it went down like over five percent on friday 108 points or something like that and i remember the friday a lot and you and i you were still working at at the old brokerage firm we worked at you didn't move leave yet i had left already because i had left months before and um and i was home and i was watching and you and i were talking on the phone about how bad it was on friday uh, let alone Monday to follow, uh, but the market was down 100 over five percent, and there was a lot of concern in the market, and we really were concerned about what was going to happen over the weekend, uh, let alone Monday. I was saying to myself, "Boy, you know, I don't know what's going to happen." When I walked in that office on Monday, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel right, and sure enough, that came to be. You know, as I said earlier too, the um, you know over the weekend, uh, it was getting around the world that there was pent up selling accumulating, uh, especially in the United States, because, you know, people were were calling up mutual funds to redeem. They were getting panicky. Uh, They had huge profits. And in researching this uh, segment this weekend, I was surprised to learn that I knew the market was up a lot through the summer of 87, because every day it seemed to be a new record. You know, the market was up on August 25th. The market was up 67% year to date. I mean, 67%. That's a huge move. And I thought for the year, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought for the year the market was up 32% up until the crash. No, it it peaked in August 25th, up 67%. And then uh, by the time the market crashed, it was up only 40-something percent. Uh, but it did close the year up, still up substantially for the year. And, and the thing about that might have been it, it that was thirty two percent for, the, for year, the year, despite the crash and correction. And the thing about the crash, like you and I, you know, as we're opening up, we're twenty seven years old. Uh, I think you had more money than I did. I I I, I wound up. Uh, Borrowing money from someone, uh, I think uh, I had a buck three eighty, a little more than you. <laughs> well, I had three eight. Uh, I, had, I had a buck, um, whatever. But uh, but uh, uh, I had a, a client who was going to invest in the firm, and I was I was scheduled on October twentieth to drive up to North Jersey to have breakfast with him, so he would give me the $10,000 I needed to invest in the firm. I don't know if you remember that guy. Uh, I do. I do remember and, who he is. you know, the market crashed, 
And I'm wondering now, is this guy going to back out? You know, I mean, if I was him, I probably would have. So I'm driving there and I'm listening to financial radio. And I heard Alan Greenspan come out and say that he was going to provide the Fed's going to provide unlimited liquidity. And it looked like the markets were uh, firms were going to go out. They were they were going to go bankrupt. There were securities firms on Wall Street. The market was going to crash even further on Tuesday morning. There, there was margin calls and everything else. And when Greenspan came out prior to the market opened and said they were going to provide billions, I, th- I think it was seventeen billion dollars. Now in nineteen eighty seven, seventeen billion was a lot of money compared that was to today. Huge, yes, uh, it was seven percent of the monetary base of the country. And 25% of bank reserves or some crazy number like that. And that calmed the markets, and uh, I think the markets are up for the day. Can you imagine if he didn't do that? That's what I was saying. I was saying this is, that's a situation where the Fed finally did something good. Uh, yeah. uh, the Fed has morphed from the days of Volcker. We talked about Volcker raising interest rates during the, the, the Great Recession, uh, the Great Inflation of 1980, uh, and rose it to 18%. And now the Fed, since Greenspan... The Bread Bernanke era, uh, the Yellen era, and now the Powell era, they've done everything wrong. I mean, they've kept interest rates at zero uh, uh, for the longest time. They've robbed the savings of retired people who've gotten no income from conservative investments. They goosed asset prices where stocks, bonds, and real estate have just gone to astronomical levels and caused inflation. I mean, it's funny, you know, uh, the Fed caused this inflation. And now they're battling the problem that they caused, which is now causing a recession and possibly uh, financial dislocation, unemployment, uh, and asset price deflation. Uh, and, you know, uh, everything they seem to do is wrong. Now, on Friday, the market was down big. And if it wasn't for them trotting out their Wall Street Journal reporter that talks to the Fed and saying that it looks like the Fed may pivot in December and stop raising rates, the market looked like it was going to get hit hard on Friday only to close up 750 points. It's, it's amazing, really. And, you know, I listened to the uh, first hour and change of the show, and it reminded me of a lot of things that you and I experienced. And you forget over 35 years, you know, uh, some of the small things. I don't even know if you touched on this, but in Australia, they refer to Black Monday as Black Tuesday because of the, t- <laughs> the time, <laughs> the time zone. So for them, it's Black Tuesday. You know? Only you would remember something like that. I, well, I, I, wor- worthless information. <laughs> Down the line. You know, but but it, was, I, it was scary time. It was. You know, I was going to say, and I don't know if you touched on this with the viewers, but leading up to 1987, we went through years of Ronald Reagan and you know, we saw interest rates go from the Carter administration, high rates of the 17% all the way down. So there was a lot of groundswell and, and energy behind the economy with low interest rates and people's ability to borrow and, and buy uh, condos. I remember there were people who were flipping condos left and right until the music stopped in October of 87. I can't forget how many people, oh, yeah, I bought a condo, and then I borrowed on that condo to buy another condo. And you know, Well, the economy was really racing. You know, after 
Volcker finally got inflation under control and caused a massive recession in 80, 81, 80. In 82, you and I started in the business both uh, in 1983. Yes. Well, between 1982 and 1987, the stock market went up something like 290%. Yeah, and they call it the go-go 80s. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a good. great I mean, time to come into the business. It was a really good time to come into the business. Everything went up, and then you had the crescendo in 1987 when the market was up 67% in August. Right. And, and I knew... With little I knew at that time, four years in the business, uh, I think I know a little bit more now. I think you would agree you do, too. I think you do, yeah. <laughs> and you, too. I mean, we... Although I'm questioning it now after the last segment of transgender <laughs> discussion. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, you don't listen to the show every week because we talk about that stuff. <laughs> Insanity. Would you ever think that well, 1987, you and I were talking about things in the world that we were talking about such Not things that we're talking all. about now? No, we would be uh, castigated and <laughs> thrown people out of talk, the building. With people would think, we're insane. Um, uh, uh, and anyway, so uh, yeah, those were an interesting time. Let's talk about setting up the firm. I mean, why we did it. I mean, mm-hmm. you and I worked together. We met uh, at a firm that wasn't, how should I say it, the most legitimate type of organization. Uh, if anybody's watched uh, Boiler Room or The Wolf of Wall Street, you get an idea of what kind of firm that was. And yeah, we didn't know any better. We, we didn't. And, and I would have to say that we were as green as the grass on your lawn, if it's hopefully green after all the uh, hot weather we experienced this summer. But we came to a point where we just didn't feel good being at those, at those firms. And uh, we wanted to do what was best for the clients, and it just seemed like the firms we worked for, especially this last private firm, cared more about themselves than their clients, and we were not built that way. We had to look at ourselves in the mirror and feel good about the things we were buying. You came from a New York-based investment house. I was here in New Jersey in uh, Monmouth County, and uh, you approached me, and you said, hey, Mart." You know, I know a lot about mutual funds. That's been my expertise. You know a lot about stocks and equities. We really have to get together. And I think our principles are the same, which they were. And uh, let's do our own thing. Let's start our own firm. And I, I just looked at Lou and I said, wow, you know, this is this is a great opportunity. And we went from there. Yeah, and here it is uh, 35 years later. Uh, you know, it's unheard of uh for partners in our business, in the financial business. It's a stressful business. Uh, we know from the firm that we used to work at before we started our own firm, the screaming and yelling between partners and the stress. Yeah. And you and I have been able to, uh, not only are we business partners, we're good friends. You know, We've known each other for almost 40 years. And uh, uh, we've been able to uh, keep the business together, keep our friendship together. We rarely disagree on anything business-wise. And uh, uh, I really hand that off to you because, you know, uh, you're a calm person. I tend to be a little bit more excitable. Uh, you kind of like are more laid back and, and, and uh, less uh, emotional than I get it sometimes. And that's a calming influence on me. Can you uh, imagine if there were two of us that were the exact same, it would be kind of challenging at times. Yeah, the world's not ready for two lose, let alone, you know, <laughs> one firm, let alone two. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it, I think it's a credit, obviously, to both of us that we've been able to, to stick it out and have a successful firm. And here we are, uh, uh, 35 years later, still going strong here. We've been servicing Ocean County, Monmouth County, New Jersey, sure. I think uh, we're probably one of the top, one of the oldest, uh, uh, we are certainly one of the oldest uh, financial planning and brokerage firms in um 
uh, in the Shore area. Uh, uh, I think EPA Financial, Bob Richards, is probably yeah. longer than us. Uh, there uh, might be uh, several others there that are out there. But, but we've been there for a long yeah. time servicing the community. And, and the good thing is the synergy we have in that uh, I'm a certified financial planner. I do long-term planning, estate planning, and, and I'm an accountant. I do the taxes. You're more on the, the stockbroker side. You know, you're an expert at, at, at the financial markets. Uh, you're great at picking stocks, and uh, 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 that's your forte. So we're able to offer uh, our clients, you know, pretty much the full gambit of financial services. It's interesting, too. You know, you delved into radio. Gosh, I forget the year prior to uh, coming to OBM, you were – taking trips to Trenton on a weekly basis and you, you got, you know, you kind of cut your teeth there and you really honed your skill and you've been a great asset to uh, seniors in particular, talking about a lot of the issues that are pertinent to them. I started doing a live stream television show on a biweekly basis, which I enjoy. And, and, you know, I feel it's educational. It's called It's Your Money with Joanne and Martin. I have a, a wonderful co-host and uh, you've been on the show three times and, and you've brought a lot of value to it. So, yeah, we've really evolved ourselves from our early years starting out. We've overcome hurdles. You know, we've had times where, you know, when we started out, we re- went through some rough patches. We were, we were $10,000 away from maybe not being around. And we always seem to overcome every everything we had to. So We did have a lot of obstacles, especially early on. And, and I remember telling you sometimes... Boy, if I don't get a sale soon, uh, I can't pay my rent. Uh, <laughs> Let alone not eat. Uh, you know. <laughs> and I had a little kid at the time, and and yeah. I was I was telling Paul actually prior to the show, you know, I was talking about that I was going to have my partner on in thirty five years, and and I said, you know, there was probably five or six times early in my career when I thought I was going to have to leave the industry because yeah. I had a family to feed and you know you don't get a salary in this when you start and I, I would shudder to think what it's like to start in this business from scratch again you know with no clients having a cold call and scrub up business and whatnot yeah. uh, obviously we've hit critical mass after all the years being in the business and we don't have those struggles anymore mm. uh, but if it wasn't for a client showing up here or there, uh, you know, a wealthy client coming to me just the week before I was ready to quit and keeping me in the business. Uh, I, we never have gotten to AFM uh, and to where we are now. But I believe it was fate. I believe I believe in God. I believe in things happen for a reason. And uh, just when I, we needed something to happen to, for the firm to succeed and, and survive, it did. And, uh, uh, and uh, we were able to benefit by that and then run with it. And we've built a very successful business that, that's thriving right now and uh, hopefully will be around for a long time to come. You know, and, and not only, you know, here talking about the uh, crash of 1987, we went through the Internet bubble in the year 2000. We went through the 2008 financial crisis. There were firms that did unnatural things, leveraging 30 to 1. We did the greatest job we could for our clients. As a matter of fact, you and I are most proud of the fact that in 2008, our clients actually made one-tenth of 1% when most people around the world and country were losing money. We safeguarded people, so we've done good. You know, and I'm proud of that. Well, you know, that's true of uh, uh, our managed money accounts. Uh, uh, obviously, speculators, you know, had a different story. But, yeah, in our conservative money managed accounts, you know, we, we protected our clients in 2008. And we protected them this year, too. I mean, our clients have been in, in cash money market accounts uh, uh, since March, you know, and we've avoided, you know, uh, a good 
the entire decline that we've seen in the bond market and stock market uh, since then. And the good news is that now with interest rates going up, where these people used to get almost zero in their money market, right now the seven-day yield is 2.32%. So at least they're getting something for that. And, of course, you're right. We have to stand uh, by the fact, too, that our aggressive clients that invest in the stock market, sure, they're going to have – you know, there their aches and pains along the way. We have that all the time when you speculate in the stock market. Well, let's talk about markets. Uh, you know, you and I, we talk markets every day. Um, it's something that uh, we enjoy doing. It's, it's our business. But we still we enjoy the markets. It's kind of like a sport, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we enjoy it, although we're not enjoying sports too much lately with the Yankees. The yeah, way our Yankees are not doing <laughs> well. So, <laughs> Well, we'll watch the Giants today. Hopefully that'll be good. Uh, but... Uh, this was a pretty un- interesting year so far in financial markets. We haven't seen anything like it in a long time. Uh, before this week, uh, we see the rebound in the market this week because of some of the Fed jawboning about maybe pivoting. Uh, you know, we've seen things that we haven't seen uh, in decades, like interest rates rising so dramatically in the bond market. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, the S&P down 25% and NASDAQ down 35% before last week. Now it's a little better. Uh, we've seen uh, the dollar strengthening uh, against currencies worldwide. Uh, we've seen a lot of things in this market, uh, and, and it looks very shaky. It looks, you know, we've seen crashy times and uh, out there, and uh, a lot of investors are nervous. Uh, uh, what do you think we go forward uh, with the stock market, maybe for the end of the year, maybe into next year? And maybe uh, interest rates. Yeah. And, Lou, people should be nervous because back in November of 2021, you and I started looking at each other and saying, we're seeing inflation stoking. We started seeing oil prices rising through the middle to end of 2021. And they've kind of hit this crescendo now. Uh, prior to, of course, the unleashing of oil from the strategic reserve. So between inflation stoking up and interest rates rising, we have headwinds. And the headwinds are challenging for stock market investors, for people who are long-term investors. We've had it nice. We've had zero interest rates. We've had a Federal Reserve that's been unbelievably accommodative. We've had an administration that seems to keep Giving money away, I know I heard you talk about the student loan thing, but I'm talking about the Inflation Protection Act and every other act they seem to put out, and it's just too much money chasing too few goods. So if interest rates are rising and all the cost of living are rising, both for businesses and homeowners, it has to translate into a volatile stock market. It's a perfect storm uh, against financial assets. I mean, rising interest rates... Uh, it's affecting the housing market, obviously, dramatically. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the program that 30-year fixed-rate mortgages hit 7.32% on average uh, in America yeah, last week. Yeah, I, I mean, saw who, that. Yeah. Who would have thought a year ago that we'd be talking about 4% mortgages, let alone 7.3%? And the question now is, does it go to 8 Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe with the Fed coming out, uh, the Fed really didn't say anything. I mean, you know, as I said earlier, uh, a Wall Street Journal reporter who's known to have the ear of the Fed historically, meaning that when he comes out on CNBC or Fox Business and he says that he thinks that the Fed may pause interest rate hikes in December, 
He's speaking for the Fed, you know, and the markets know that. So when he came out pre-market on Friday and said that, and then later in the day, Fed Governor Daly came out and reiterated that maybe we're going too fast and we need to pause and see, you know, uh, uh, what the lag on these interest rates do, uh, uh, kind of rescued the market. Uh, bond yields came down. Uh, the dollar came down a bit. Gold uh, caught a bid. And then the stock market turned from being down pre-market three, 400 points to closing up 750. But, Lou, you know, you said in the first um, hour of your show, you said it's very easy for markets to bounce off of oversold conditions. And, I mean, we've you can get a dead cat bounce or an oversold rally. It doesn't mean that's all right with the world, and now we have the all-clear signal. So, you know, things are going to remain challenging for the rest of the year. We have midterm elections coming up in a couple of weeks, so, you know. Maybe. Uh, the way the, the way the polls are coming out here, it looks like they may want to do anything they can to prevent this election from happening. Uh, I don't know. If let's the, hope not. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they could do anything like that in two weeks. But if they do anything, it'd be pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me tell you, I mean, the deep state, the you whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, who or whatever Marxist force is trying to take over the United States, and and I truly believe that's happening. Uh, what we see happening in this country now. Uh, this far left uh, wokeism, uh, globalism. I mean, uh, this is not just some wax jobs out there. This this is a coordinated effort, uh, and I I include the stolen election of 2020 it was all part of a big plan uh, to destroy America uh, as the leading power in the world. And uh, now they look at maybe uh, that being taken away from them, uh, especially if they lose the Senate. Uh, in addition to the House, uh, that they may do something. And I tell you, I read people who are not uh, as insane as I am uh, that are saying that be aware of a false flag event or something uh, that makes them suspend the elections. Can you please tell your listeners what a false flag is? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Uh, A false flag is where it's a created uh, uh, event. Uh, like uh, a nuclear weapon goes off and they blame it on Russia. Meanwhile, we did it. Or you know, a claim that maybe a missile was fired towards another country and uh, it happened to be a NATO country coming from North Korea, let's say. Or or, or a cyber attack uh, that uh, takes down the electrical grid yeah. uh, and something blame Russia that, on that. Uh, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, look, if you turn out the lights, uh, you can't have elections, right? <laughs> let's, they, let's hope. The Democrats can't lose power. Let's hope happen. that doesn't happen. You know, I think Evelyn listens to our show, or your show, I should say. Uh, she'll be she'll be uh, beating you up on Monday on that that topic. She's beating me up with text already on some of the things that I've said oh so my gosh. far today during the show. Uh, by, if anybody doesn't know who Evelyn, Evelyn's my, my assistant of 28 years. And so. Jennifer mine. So if you're listening, <laughs> Jennifer, you do just a wonderful job. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, uh, so we have these elections coming up, and uh, it looks like Americans have finally had it. Uh, and I think that the, the voter turnout, especially on the Republican side, uh, is going to be huge. Uh, you know, you've hit home for a lot of people. You know, you can come out and the president and the spokeswoman, you know, I had video, I have audio here, I'm not playing it, uh, where she just tries to explain away the inflation that Biden's doing everything he can to deal with it. It's his top priority. Uh, yeah, we had the Inflation Reduction Act where we spend $700 billion. That's not inflationary. Mm. Yeah, but seniors' prescription drugs may go down, you know, so that's a good thing. You know, when you think about it, at the end of the day, all of us go and buy groceries. We go to the food store. 
And people can say whatever they want, but when it comes to the register, we're not buying as much as we did a year ago and two years ago. And I hear it all the time. I talk about it on my television show. You talk about it on this radio show all the time. At the end of the day, it affects your back pocket, your wallet, your pocketbook, and people are fed up and tired. As a matter of fact, I sometimes wonder why there isn't more outcry, especially when oil prices at the pump were here in Jersey, almost $6, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Thankfully, they're not. Uh, Of course, it's uh, smoke and mirrors. Why they're not? You talked about that earlier with the strategic reserve release, and there'll be more that'll be getting released, and uh, it's right here by the election. So, And after the election, I think energy prices are going to go right back up because there's no need then to continue uh, to release that energy. Anyway, we're at the end of the show. Martin Salzman, my business partner, 35 years. Glad to have you on talking yeah. about the crash when we opened up our firm, AFM, and everything else. So, well, Thanks for having an, me on, Luke. End of another good show. If you missed any of the show, go to thefinancialphysician.com where the podcast will be up in the next five minutes of the entire show. Please share it. I love your emails, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. You want to set up a no-obligation financial review with me, 732-905-8100. Remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. See you next week.